Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Kalila Josephs, better known to her clients as Coach K. Coach K is a spiritual life coach that is helping the LGBTQ community fully embrace their spirituality and sexuality. Growing up in a conservative family, she was taught that being a queer person was not okay. When trying to express her sexuality in a parochial religious environment, everything that she worked for was almost taken away from her. Eventually, she learned that she could live as an out person, but that just wasn't enough. She had to go back and heal herself from past traumas in order to blossom into the person she is today. Let's hear Coach K's story. Well, hey, Coach K, how's it going today? It's going good. It's going good. How, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, I could not be better myself. I am so excited to be able to, to be with you and to get to know you better today. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for, you know, both for the invitation. I'm honored to be here. Uh, thanks. Thanks. And you are, we're, we're talking to you right now and you are on the East Coast, uh, not too far. I'm trying to think actually, you're in the Carolinas, right? Yes, you did good. Um, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Did you grow up in the Carolinas? No, I've actually been living in Charlotte now for about 10 years. A native originally from Brooklyn, New York, and left there around about 10, then came down to the South. So I lived in uh, Savannah, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Florida. And then uh, when I went to start like playing college basketball and stuff like that, I found North Carolina to be the home. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm a now charlatan for 10 years. Ah, that's a great state <laughs> for basketball right there. Yeah. Wait, I, I'm out of curiosity, what position did you play? I played small forward, right? Wow. So I uh, got a little little dirty down there, but uh, yes, small forward. Oh, nice. Uh, you grew up Hispanic and Catholic, right? Yeah. So my um, parents are from Panama, Panama City in, in, in Cologne. And um, they moved to um, Brooklyn, New York uh, around in the 70s. And, you know, the, the religion culture of uh, most Hispanics are uh, Catholic Christian. So I grew up Catholic to around about 13. So the, growing up in, in there in Brooklyn, it wasn't just on Sundays. It was in your na- was it in your neighborhood as well, too? Like, did you feel like it was in the culture that you lived in as well? Or Yeah, definitely. Definitely in the culture. I went to a Catholic school. So I mm-hmm. went through confirmation and, you know, <laughs> I hear Been you laughing too, <laughs> right? Right? Yep. At seven is a big thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Went through confirmation and wore uniform and with the mm-hmm. priests and all of that good stuff. So it was embedded in the culture. And uh, it was, yeah, it, was, it became like an everyday thing and outside of Sundays as well. How was it growing up? Did you ever have conversation or was there any dialogue about gay people or queer people in your household or in your community? Yeah, I'm um, just a little bit of a little bit of background. So queer community, gay community in the Panamanian culture or mostly Hispanic culture, but specifically in the Panamanian culture was, you know, negatively viewed and uh, was illegal. So it wasn't mm. something that definitely parents or family members would be proud of. Mm. And and at that time, I really didn't see like an example of gay people around or, you know, queer people around. I think maybe, you know, maybe seeing some childhood kids that had a little bit of flamboyancy and, and parents will make a comment, you know, negatively, uh, a negative comment about how the, the, the boy child is acting a little bit feminine in, in such a way. So it, it, it brought a negative light 
Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. it was like, you know, one of those things, oh, boys don't touch boys. Girls don't play, you know, touch girls. Or, um, you know, if they overhear you saying that you want to play house. And I, and I know I was a, a big one for this. I was like, I want to be the dad. <laughs> and I was like, no, you cannot be the dad. You have to be the mom. Uh, so from that, you could pick up a little bit of that energy that mm, maybe this is not the right thing to be doing. So, yeah, I would say it was definitely in, kind of embedded in the culture, um, but comments were made and it wasn't it was negative. It was mm-hmm. not, not too positive. That negative connotation that it had, mm-hmm. did that come from the Catholicism that was embedded in the culture or was it just culturally not accepted? Or do you think it was maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, I want to say the latter, maybe a little bit of both, you know, definitely. And I kind of understand this a little bit more now, a lot of our belief systems stem from that core, core religion or what we're taught. So one Catholicism teaching that, you know, homosexuality is abomination. And that's kind of the energy that my mom picked up, you know, saying, hey, no, that's not right. <laughs> you know, that hmm. piece. But then also culturally, I, I noticed that as I, as I grew older, it was this whole infatuation of what would, what would people say if people knew my daughter was gay? Mm-hmm. You know, the whole perfectionist piece of, you know, I, I want my daughter to do this and, you know, be girly or be involved in these activities. And I think it was culturally would be an embarrassment if it was said that, oh, your mm-hmm. child is, you know, gay. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think both of those kind of weighed in, w- yeah. definitely weighed in on me. When I'm able to listen to somebody else's story, I'm able to observe something diff- differently than I in my own life because I'm not necessarily attached to it in the same direct way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about like also that you know, we have these conversations about gender and sexuality and how they intersect and just about like that, you know, you don't have to be gay or, you know, or lesbian or, you know, transgendered or non-binary. Like the fact that we at such a young age, we, we tell men or we tell boys that you can't, you have to be tough and you have to be strong. And then if somebody mm-hmm. who's female maybe has, you know, has, a, you know, is, rises up and wants to be a leadership or a role model in the family or, you know, take that, that, that that's also not just necessarily bound to sexuality that, you know, we, to letting people to encourage people to fully immerse themselves in, in all of what they are as far as, uh, feelings, thoughts, um, empathy. And then I don't know, like sometimes, I mean, not to go down a long road about like social power structure things, but just how that sometimes we associate that with weakness or, or you know, it's just these things of compassion and stuff like that, that, um, I think there were principles that we could do to do a better. Like I think about Christianity or Catholicism and some of these good things that I've learned, from that, but then also sometimes it can be in direct conflict with the power structures we have in the family unit or in tribalism and stuff like that, but just kind of a side conversation there. But Yeah, no, I think I totally agree with what you're saying because we have to, we're groomed to believe in something, right? And right. majority of us have been in some form or fashion in some type of religion, um, most likely in Christianity here in the States. And it forms our it informs our culture. It informs how one parents in the household, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know it's just I can just remember you know like when you t- talk about when a child wants to express themselves in gender identity, and I can remember telling my mom, "Hey, I want to play basketball." And mm-hmm. I remember I was like what seven or eight years old, and she was like, "No, only mm-hmm. gay people play <laughs> only gay people play basketball," or just there was a stigma around it, and you know basically trying to prevent me in something that I had, you know, had passion around or wanted to do at a young age because of 
what was culturally deemed as appropriate or this is what mm-hmm. gay people do or they play these particular sports or things of that nature. So I think like when you do that, you deprive, uh, at that point, I still played basketball, but it deprives a child of really tapping into what they want to do when they grow up. Mm-hmm. So things like that. Yeah. I, so I, when I was growing up to, in I would say grade school, uh, more like into junior high, I was encouraged to play sports and it just never was what I really wanted to do. It was never something that I really felt passionate about. And, uh, it wasn't until I got into high school till I realized that I didn't have to, to do that. I found other things that were really more inspiring to do, you know, like doing theater and student government and like that kind of stuff. And I think now, like looking back, I don't, I don't think there was ever really a conversation in our house about it, but it would have been like if we would just pay attention to what we're like kids are responding to versus just being like, oh, we just have to put them in, you know, that you're a boy, you're going to play soccer, you know, in the spring and you're going to play basketball in the, you know, winter and you're going to play football in the, the fall. And it's like, it just, it doesn't work like that. What you should be doing is following the child's you know, watching what they're responding to. Like, I'm just thinking, so Jeff and I, our nephew, he loves, he's like a year and a few months old and well, older than that now. Oh my gosh, he's almost two. Anyway. (laughs) Um, but he loves to dance. And I said to my sister, I was like, I think when he's old enough, you should just put him in a dance class. I mean, not for nothing. It's just like, it's, he really likes to do it. It'll be something that he can, you know, artistically or creatively express himself and just encourage those behaviors that, you know, the kids are showing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and allowing them to have that exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so I'm curious. So I'm hearing your, your mom says no, but you just foreshadowed to the fact that, you know, that you did play. So did you keep pushing it? How did you get yourself on the court? Yeah. So, so her thing was she had me like in ballet and cultural dances. And I was like, even though I was good at it, I was like, no, this, this is what I want what I, I want to do. I want to want to play basketball. And I was actually good at it. Uh, so I, I think around maybe middle school or high school, I, that's when I really just opened myself up and say, hey, I really just related my passion and say, Hey, I really want to play basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think it wasn't until like I got a college scholarship. Then that's when she realized, Oh, you know what? This kid may actually be good, you know, <laughs> and I don't have to pay for school. Yeah. You go ahead and, you know, play basketball. All right. So I think that's when she started to kind of open up to it just a little bit. She still at that time still had the struggle and the stigma around it. Uh, but she just knew that, Hey, let me, let me let let me let her play. Let me let her do mm. do her do her thing. And I'm glad that she actually leaned into it, and I actually leaned into it because it was probably one of the the greatest. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about sports mm-hmm. and the life lessons and leadership and all these different things that we learn from it. Um, and I carry a lot of those lessons today. So, um, what if she would have just really hunker down and say, "No, you cannot right. play because of my own fears and perceived notions." What that w- what that would have looked like. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you followed that. You you played in high school. You went to a Christian high school, right? Yes. Yes. Went to a Christian high school in um, Jacksonville, Florida. Did you ever have anything where you felt like you had to be careful about people finding out like a secret you had inside of you or anything like that at all with high school? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, <laughs> we uh, have, a, have a little bit of a secret. So when I went to the school, I went to the school uh, basically on a basketball sh- scholarship and I think that was a time that I started to kind of really lean in and find my own identity. So I knew from like a young age that, hey, something's up. 
you know, I, I really had like like little girls and at a, at a, maybe in the single digits around seven, eight. Hmm. But around this time, like 13, 14, it was like, okay, that girl is beautiful, <laughs> right? Hmm. And, and wanting to kind of pursue those feelings. And I can remember, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year, that I had, you know, had a, had a little girlfriend at the time. And, and like most of us is talking on the phone and you hang up and oh, I, you hang up and I think, <laughs> right. It's so cute. So cute. <laughs> and I think her, her mother at the time picked up the phone and I guess like, you know, possibly recorded our conversation, took the recording to the principal and the principal basically went on a scavenger hunt to find who's Kalila, right? where I need to, where's this, where's this kid I need to find um, because something's going on and, and it's not right. So they brought me first, actually brought my best friend into office. My best friend was like, no, you got the wrong person. And then they mm -hmm. found me and uh, he brought me into the office, sat down and said, Hey, I have a recording of, of you and you talking to your girlfriend. And um, I'm just going to ask you this. Are you gay? Mm -hmm. And if you are, you already know the consequences of that. You can't be here and we're going to call your mom. And, and at that moment, I already knew. Like, I, I was, and I was like, "No, no, I'm, I'm not gay. I, I'm not gay. Uh, no, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> Knowing good and well, I didn't have a boyfriend." And um, he said, "Okay, well, you know, you're gonna need to stop hanging around that person. If I see you all together, that lets me know otherwise." So at that moment, I couldn't really even, you know, you walk through the hallway, you can't even talk to this person or anything, and. You know, rumors are going around school that you're gay. You know, your basketball team, your coach, everyone is kind of now on alert for you mm -hmm. to make sure you're not around this person. So I think that, you know, that that kind of damaged me, you know, definitely, uh -huh. definitely damaged me. And that was the big lie. And I spilled into spaces of trying to have a boyfriend to have a cover, cover up, you know, yeah. or even to tell my yourself. girlfriend. Yeah. And have my girlfriend say, hey. Although we're together, you need to find somebody to date to take the attention off of us, so that you know mm. we could be in a relationship. So was that the answer? No, but at the time, you know, oh. you're you're trying to graduate high school and not lose scholarships and things of that right. nature. And most, if anything, uh, not have my mom found out. Find out. So that whole four years that I was there, she didn't know anything about me being gay. The incident that happened. So that was like a big secret that I had to hold my hold in within myself. Wow! Wow! It's a big weight to carry. That, that is. I mean, and, and I think about you know, like high school. Your 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 teen. So it's not just high school. It's it's also basketball. Like yeah. in high school, you know, that's, that's everything, you know, that's, I mean, like, you know, I had like some youth group stuff that like, was kind of like my outlet as well too, until that was no longer okay. But to have that taken away, like that's everything for yeah. a 14, 15 year old girl to be, have that an adult, you, you grew up real quick when you have to have those conversations, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you had your friend, you were, you were telling her like, you know, how we, we got to make sure we're safe about this. Was there anyone that you could look up to that was older than you to be like, like, this is what I'm going through. Like anybody to like acknowledge, like to, I don't know, encourage you at all. Yeah. I had um, one of my, my teammates, they were a senior, all, all, they were open, they were out and open and looked up to them. It's like, oh man, you know, I think she gave us, I think it's one of those people when you see people, you're like, oh, that's what I am. So when we saw mm -hmm. her, we just knew, like I knew, like I was like, man, she's gay. That, and I, I, I'm feeling the same way. And I think she took me under her wing to kind of just say, it's okay. But, you know, that only lasted for a little bit because she graduated and 
I, I had, along with others, had like three more years to go. How do I, how do I navigate that space? So I think she was instrumental as sometimes being a representation or just kind of mm-hmm. showing you like, oh man, like that person's showing you who you are. And yeah. I think that's what she, the lesson that she played in, in at that time. It just comes up so often when we're, when we talk about these stories on the show and it's like representation or that visibility of being able to see yourself in someone else, just how important that is because it allows you to then know that you're not alone, that you are, that there are other people out there like you. And it just, it just goes to show it's just, you know, I just, how important that is and how important it is to continue to see and have like a strong visibility for LGBTQI people in the world. So after high school, you leave and you go away to college. Where did you find yourself going to college? I found myself, I was still in Florida, um, but I went to kind of like a, a small junior college. I'm a little bit in the country. So I found myself going out in the country with some cows and... <laughs> Like one supermarket, but I love playing basketball and I had got a, a scholarship to, to go. So um, my mom was gracious enough to say, OK, you know what? You know, I believe in you. You, you seem like you're good at this basketball thing. Plus, I don't have to pay. So you go ahead and do your thing. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I found myself in, um, in, in college. And would you say this was a more progressive environment than you were in before? I would say, yeah, I, th- I think it was, you know, neutral in a sense. It wasn't Mm. a, like a religious Christian college or anything like that. Um, And I actually went to two colleges. So we'll probably talk a little bit about that. So the junior college I went to was pretty much open, diverse, uh, a a group of students. So it was very kind of, in a sense, nothing was really spoken about. You know, I think that was the opportunity was I was able to step in and be free Mm. and, and connect with other athletes that were, that were openly, you know, queer you know, mm. and, and really step into that and say, oh man, I'm not the only one. Yeah. So that, that's, that was a big thing. But, um, actually my mom, that's when she found out that I was, um, that I was gay. So she always had suspicions and made comments about it. But I just remember there was, um, maybe shortly there, thereafter, maybe a couple months after I came into school, she got wind of, uh, I don't know how she got wind of it. She keeps her mouth <laughs> pretty close knit to this day. Really, uh, <laughs> I think I think she found out from um, some of the rumors that were going on at school, mm-hmm. and she she reached out to me and came pick me up and and said, "Hey, I heard that you you're gay," and um, that was a tough moment. I'll mm-hmm. say that it was a tough moment. Yeah. So you you go to to school there for two years, and then you move on to another college after that. Then. Yeah. So I move on to, I had um, continued playing basketball. I found, that's where I found myself in the Carolinas. I went to a historically black college in, uh, in here in the Carolinas and, you know, found that school was a Christian based school. So it was, although individuals, we had queer individuals on campus, I think it, it just, it was still in doctrine, you know, um, mm. you, you're walking around the way you are, but it still was not a affirming. It wasn't affirming. Mm-hmm. It wasn't open. It didn't have any type of resources of, you know, how can we be openly as we are, right? Yeah. So the only really tribe that I had was my basketball team, you know, and individuals that I'm, you know, friends that I made around school. But the institution itself wasn't a proponent of LGBTQ or providing any type of resources or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Was there 
a reason why you went to that college? Did it have anything to do with you coming out or, you know, sort of being outed to your mom? No, I think the deeper reason as to why I went to the, chose to go to that college for me, I went to a you know a Christian high school, but it was predominantly white. And um, the first junior college followed suit, and mm -hmm. uh, you know for me being African American, I felt like there was a little bit of a void missing. I, I wanted mm -hmm. to be around more diverse in that sense, be around my tribe. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to learn more about Black culture and just. Um, you know, just be in, in within a, a different environment. So that's what was the really driver hmm. for me choosing to go to a, a different college and, and specifically that college, like a HBCU, to be in a space that was more diverse. I know for me, you know, I went to a, a Christian college as well, Catholic college. I, I started there like in the late 90s. And it was like the first time for, you know, for me to be exposed to a lot of, you know, queer students on campus. And I think the only difference of my experience and yours, your college experience in terms of what you just said about um, uh, being affirming or not, mm -hmm. is the campus was extremely affirming. There were out queer teachers, there were out wow. queer like students, and there were gender studies and women's studies and queer studies classes. There were organizations for, you know, LGBTQ youth. It was, uh, it was a really, uh, unique sort of experience because not that I had a tumultuous experience in uh, going to a Catholic high school, but just none of that stuff existed. And I was so shocked to see that. And what also was really interesting about the school I went to was the diversity with on campus. There was just people from all over the world that came to the school. And there were also, there was like so many different faiths and religions of, you know, the student body that were there. It was just like this really big melting pot of people. I'm really grateful for that because I feel like for me, it gave me like the sense of like, okay, like I, I have my, my faith structure. I, I know what it is. It maybe doesn't fit exactly into Catholicism, but I know that there are people that love and support me along the way. So I, I know other people now have that, especially that we've talked to on the show, you know, they've had similar experiences that you've had in college and it's gotta be really tough to to you like say like, hey, this is who I am. It's okay to say who I am, but it's almost like saying you can't act on who you are yeah. or or be who you are. Yeah, definitely. And then and, and that's the thing is to you have you know have representation. And when you mm. you know go into the college, it was it's like the don't ask, don't tell rule. Mm. You know, until yeah. it became outlawed a couple of years ago. It's yeah, we we see you walking around and we can make an assessment and we see your behavior, but we're not a proponent. We're not. Mm -hmm. you know, advocating, you know, for you to be the way you are. And that's, to me, that's like a mission, like you, you, a lack of support, yeah. right? a lack of support that yeah. you, you don't have certain classes that teach you about how to navigate in this world right. or resources that, you know, around mental health or mm. all of us, you know, you go into a college as people from all over and not to have those resources that say, how do I, how do I navigate my own sexuality, and how do I navigate being a play, in a place mm -hmm. away from home and friends, mm -hmm. and the challenges of day to day, you know, and, and you know, you still sometimes you would get, you know, forms of bullying in high school and forms of bullying in college, but there wasn't a place for it, a person to run through, you know, run to. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about when you, you came out to your mom or your mom, you know, pulled you out <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> more so actually is what it sounds like to me. And you also said something earlier in the beginning of our conversation, you said uh, in Panama that it's illegal to be gay. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I was listening to somebody else earlier this week that was talking about how we have to reform, like, you know, immigration and stuff like that. And he said, you know, he's fine with any any word that doesn't say a person's, we, can, we can't use a word saying a legal alien because no person is illegal, right? Yeah. Like, you know, a gay person, you, you, and you, I think that part of what the society has thought is that not understanding that it's just part of who your being is, just as... Mm part of anything that is part of your intuition, part of what has made who your spirit is. And I was actually talking last week, a couple weeks ago about like, I screwed it up about how like in Peter Pan had a shadow and Wendy like sewed his shadow back on in the, in the, in the play, in the movie. And it would be like, you know, me like trying to remove like my shadow, like, and funny enough, like, I want to talk a little bit about some of like the, where you dove into from the turning points in your young adult years. And for me, it was like that shadow work actually. It's kind of kind of a play on words. Is actually when I had to, when I started doing that shadow work on this internalized homophobia, these yeah. internal fears, and and now I can look back upon it, and especially since I've a lot of this is involved writing, so I can look at it, you know, get it out between when it's in between your ears, it has a lot of power over you. You know, yeah. um, that, that negative self-talk. But when you start to put it down, you're like, oh, I would never talk to anybody that way, the way I talk mm-hmm. or feel about myself. I don't want to assume what, what took place with that conversation with your mom. We don't necessarily have to talk about that. But to, just to get people, because where you're at today is not where you were seven, ten years ago. And I think it's important people to know, like, this person now who does so much amazing work, that where you were to where you are, how, how you got to where you are today and where, where you were, and to kind of give, give people hope that maybe have been in your situation can we talk about like some of the low points in your life? Yeah, I don't mind. I'm I'm pretty much open book, and then that's I think that's where the beauty is that we're able to kind of show and talk about the valley moments, and then yeah. talk about okay, th- that's what catapult my growth and inspired you know me to to do this work. Yeah, mm-hmm. so just kind of going back to um, like I said, she didn't know in high school, but she did find out when I was in college and came to pick me up one day, and you know just had the gospel music playing in the back. And I'm like, what the world is going on here? (laughs) And I, you know, I just heard that you're gay and now I know that you're gay. And that's why I didn't want you to play basketball. That's why I didn't want you to do this. I didn't make you this way. And just was crying and just, it was just a very emotional moment, not only for her, but for me, because I'm like, what, like, I'm just going home for the weekend (laughs) and, you know, turn my world upside down. And, you know, at at the time, you know, my mom did say a lot of hurtful things, you know, things of, you know, she, I know definitely she loves me and everything and we reconcile that relationship. But just back at that time, because of how, you know, the queer community is portrayed is like putting AIDS in the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to go to hell in the Mm -hmm. conversation. God didn't make you this way. You know, she gave a really, really hard time, especially when it came to church. At that point, you know, a Christian and going to a Christian church, you cannot wear those type of clothes. You cannot wear your hair like that. You cannot mm. do this. You know, things like trying to have gender expression mm. was denied. Like, you know, or you she would throw some clothes out, clothes away. And I'm like, where's my clothes? Oh. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> or, you know, just kind of things that, you know, we will we'll struggle with. And I know like maybe even like our, our, all any any type of listener here but like putting certain clothes in your book bag to kind of because you want to express yourself and it's like what do you got in that bag 
Mm-hmm. Where are you going? What are you doing? So yeah. just being under that ridicule, and I think that she that was around eighteen. My mom didn't actually come around to like my late tw- my late twenties. You wow. know, like late twenties. So ten years of I had moments where I cut my hair off, and she was like, "What in the world?" You know, and just yeah. ha- she had a hard time coming to grips of who I was evolving to be, and it was just really, really challenging for her. And it was definitely challenging for me to navigate that space. I wonder for your mom, was it really more for the religious reasons or do you think it was more that she was acting this way because of embarrassment to like others? Like she didn't know how to maybe talk about this or express who you were to like her friends yeah, that's what I think. I think it's a little bit of a bit, a little bit of both. I think one, mm-hmm. yeah, religion, but sometimes that could be used as a crutch, as yeah, deeper to what that they're feeling. And I think sometimes when people make a statement, they have to face the person in the mirror. So, like mm-hmm. at that time, she may have been judging other people's children and 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 kind of like, ah, I, my child wouldn't dare be that or mm-hmm. do that, and to face the music as your child is gay, you mm-hmm. know, and, right. and that was a an embarrassment for her, you yeah. know, very, how do I face my friends? How do yeah. I, I, I did something. And I think she dealt with that a, a lot. Like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. 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 I didn't make I, you this way. So right. like, what did I do wrong? So right. I think it was like a lot of embarrassment and hurt. We can't ever speak for somebody else's experience, right? And I'm really grateful that you and your mom have been able to reconcile your relationship, as as you said earlier. I, at least I used to view my parents as like I think we all view our parents as like the adult, like they're they're my mom and dad. <laughs> and I don't have any kids. I got like four dogs, but 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 you know, and I got I got a, I got a nephew, like a couple, I got nieces and nephew actually, and. And I've seen friends now that have become maybe it's maybe what's actually helped me even more so is having like siblings that have become parents now. Yeah. And it's like nothing magical happened. They didn't figure out everything and all of a sudden become a parent. And so I I mean, and not to say that anything I can't speak for your mother. I'm just talking about some stuff with my parents I had to work through. It's like, you know, I, I gotta give them some I, I give them some grace and understand the fact that they that they're they were all people. Hate's never right or you know, well, you know, and a person is never but there's been so much lip service given to especially in the 80s and 90s with, with when AIDS when the epidemic AIDS epidemic happened with fundamentalism and stuff like that that it was you know if that's the soup you're being fed you know or th- that's what you're around you kind of have to you know your environment has at least for myself my environment has so much effect of who of what I am what, what like my experiences are who of what I am today and then being able to be like when somebody says oh no this isn't this isn't true and then a second person but then the third person tells me this isn't true and they're qualified to speak on that subject i need to start listening for myself if that makes sense at all definitely so did you have any depression or any like negative side effects any like weight gain or anything like any like self-harm that, that, that developed or any of this for yourself yeah um and i think that's where the 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 dark moments are one dealing with that with you know with my mom because i think we all like you said earlier we want to be accepted by our parents and our family and all of that and i and me and my mom and i had a close relationship it was just this one area of my life that was very hard for her so for that for me it became a sense a a thorn you know a thorn Mm -hmm. and definitely in my in my side so yeah and that kind of translated into the actually the relationships that i was attracting and you know getting involved with individuals that were basically not out as well so it did cause a lot of depression 
in, in my twenties, I would, you know, be depressed and I would go to church and try to pray the gay away. And cause I wanted to reconcile this relationship with my mom. I wanted to, you know, be accepted by it. You know, everyone I wanted to be, you know, wasn't quite sure if I could be in that type of relationship. So I was always in this ambiguous place and that caused a lot of stress and, and stress and depression. And I think like around like maybe closer to my um, late twenties when around that, about that time she came to full acceptance of it. I had mm-hmm. wasn't in my career. I just feel like I couldn't show up, mm-hmm. you know, the way that I wanted to confidently as a gay woman in the workplace mm-hmm. because of, I didn't, I didn't have anyone to help me with self-esteem, mm-hmm. you know, confidence um, instill that in me. So, you know, it was one thing with the workplace I had at that time I had like gained like close to like 30 pounds, mm. which was like, you know, this is no longer a freshman 15. You, you're <laughs> out, you've been out of college, girl. Like what's going on? So I had, you know, gained a lot of weight. I was just unhappy in my life and it caused a lot of mental and emotional anguish. But at that time, you know, we're not taught to go to a therapist really or a counselor. And how dare you go to a counselor or therapist with the issue of being queer? And, you, you know, you just feel like a sense of that's non-existent. I can't go and talk to anyone about that. So I really didn't have any, you know, really outlet. So, yeah, that was a, a dark moment for me, you know, kind of withdrew from friends. In, a, in my private space would do a lot of crying and a kind of a lot of questioning. Why, God, why did you make me this way? Why is, why is my world falling apart you know, maybe my mom is right. Maybe what people say about me is right. So it, it does take you to a, a dark, emotional, um, dark and emotional space. What would you say then was sort of that turning point for you? What what changed everything and, you know, help you sort of come around the corner? Yeah. So I was like to tell people, like I kind of had like, a, even though like in my 20s, early 20s, was going to church, more progressive churches and getting closer to God, it just seemed like it was a, still a void. So mm-hmm. when I was in that depressive state and I was I was being pushed, I think I can remember two specific incidences that kind of helped catapult my growth. Mm-hmm. And that was one, this whole time we were talking about my mom, but my dad, he wasn't in my day to day. You know, my dad has, had his own life and he was still in New York while we were down South. And my dad didn't know that I was gay. So like, mm-hmm. I really see my dad over like 10 years. He'll see me, you know, sporadically. But when I did, I knew how to mask really good. So mm-hmm. I knew how to change my clothes to look yeah. more feminine and act more feminine so that it will kind of throw the whole thing off. So my dad didn't know that I was, you know, who I was. And I was, you know, pleading to God. And I was like, man, God, you know, what's going on, man? You got to talk to me. And at that point, you know, I was kind of doing some stuff around my health, started getting better. And I could just remember this one time I was just crying and crying in my living room. And I'm like, you know, what am I here to do? (laughs) What am I, what is my calling? I think that's where we get to that. Like, what am I here to do? And, Mm. you know, I I heard God said, I need you to go help people find purpose. Mm. And in that same breath, I said, okay, well, you need me to do that. I can't, I'm gay. So how can I talk about God? and purpose and gay all and I can't do it. Hmm. And for whatever reason, God knew what I needed. And God says, I need to, I need you to tell your father, tell your father Hmm. that. 
And I was in my head, I'm like, what the <laughs> like tell my father? I'm like, what? I'm, I'm the only one in this living room. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and and I'm talking about in my spirit, I felt, you know, in in, in thought of that. So I, I called my brother up and I said, Hey, I gotta tell daddy. I gotta I gotta let him know that who I am. And he's like, Why would you do that? And I said, I don't want him to ever leave this earth and not know my truth. Mm. I, I I don't come to see him because of I'm ashamed. And he needs to know. Uh, he's like, all right, <laughs> that's what you feel like you need to do. So I, I called my dad and I talked to him and, and I was like, dad, I got, I got something to tell you. I said, um, I'm gay. His response, he didn't speak for a, a little while, like maybe a couple minutes. It's like, felt like an etern- eternity. Um, he said, have a peace of mind. You're my baby. You um, have a peace of mind. Peace have of a mind. peace of heart. I will never turn my back on you. Wow. And that moment i knew that god was speaking through my father yeah. to me because you know culture my mom led me to believe like no you cannot never tell your dad you'll have a heart attack don't ever tell him and i just that god knew what i needed to hear from through my father that i love you and that and those words from my dad always stuck you know have a peace of mind have a peace of heart and my um my dad actually passed this past April. Mm-hmm. And when I think about him, I, I just think about like, man, you know, I'm so glad that I had the courage and li- really leaned in and listened to God yeah. because that was one of the, the greatest gifts yeah. that, that helped me accept who I am in this world. talk about that like when the, the student's ready the teacher appears you surrender like this wasn't working like were you what do you you're thinking your thoughts weren't working and you made room for that intuition that what do we even call it voice god intuition spirit mm-hmm. and uh, and then you, you followed that instruction and like i don't think we honestly understand sometimes how much of like probably that was occupying your soul and suppressing you or i mean i can't speak for you but at least for myself in those situations it's like and what a gift that you got to have that conversation with your father and my belief in my experience is per se like that's so wonderful that you had that from your father and you, but also the fact that sometimes the things don't always go that well, but there mm-hmm. is still a peace of mind that comes up because I'm standing in truth, whether it's me just even like a simple, like, like someone who's listening is like, okay, that's huge. That's huge. There's no way. Like maybe it's a simple thing. Like when you get in the car and the Uber asks like, oh, you're going out to go meet up your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you don't code switch and you say, oh, I'm going to meet my boyfriend or, you know, I'm going to meet my girlfriend, you know, and it's being mm-hmm. truth in that. And just like taking those baby steps. Because then I get a little bit more power and a little bit more steam to go on to do the next thing. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that more in the work you're doing today. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that experience with your father. Thank you for creating the space. I know there was another story that you and I talked before about uh, when you were traveling for work. And you kind of had this other like God shot with a little bit of a parking situation. Can we talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those people are going to be like, what kind of crazy stories? Is she never- <laughs> uh, it's all right. <laughs> Uh, is it? Are used to that here? Uh, yeah, I was w- doing, you know, traveling for work, and after um, having, you know, a long day teaching classes, pumping people up, and motivating people, and helping people actually live into their purpose, I would actually go to my hotel room and cry, and still have like, oh man, okay, you know, hey, the, the internalized homophobia, right? That even though I had that one gift from my dad, is still. I was still dealing with the religious struggle. I was still dealing with the um, some, some the remnants of that, right? And I'm still working through that. And my my teammate says, "Hey, can, you know, let's go on, let's go out for dinner." So we team up, we go to dinner, and while we're we're driving to the location, we 
pull up to a parking that's like literally right there in front of the restaurant. And my teammate says, hey, let's actually go further up a couple blocks. And I'm like, there's a parking right here. Why would we want to go a couple blocks up? And when we go a, a couple blocks, uh, I remember just kind of fumbling out the car, I dropped something. And when I dropped something, I end up looking up and I look up to this big mural um, on a church that says, God loves all with mm-hmm. a rainbow over it. And I was like, I, he was like, come on. Okay. And, like, <laughs> and I'm like in awe and shocked because little did my teammate know, or, you know, I was just crying my heart out, you know, and mm-hmm. I, that's when God showed up again and say, Hey, I hear you, you know, mm-hmm. and I love all it's okay. So in that moment, I just knew that like, God, you're with me through this whole process. You're with me in this journey. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone. And I, I find it to be that would we ask God or universe or however we relate to it, whatever challenges that we're facing through God knows you uniquely to bring the answer. So like mm-hmm. through art, through books, through yeah. all these different things. And just God just found it, say, hey, I'm going to, this bureau, a couple mm-hmm. blocks up from this restaurant is, is where she's going to be able to find the answer and find some solace. But it's also too, it's just being open. Right. So you get to a point in your life where you are, where you're just open to hearing, you're open, you're asking for things, but then it's also just keeping that open mind. And all of a sudden, it seems like those little signs, they just start appearing, they just start showing up and not all at once and not in one big rush, but like Jeff, what you said, just they come as you need them slowly because it's a journey and a process. And, you know, not everything is going to shift you know, overnight, sometimes I feel like, you know, we would like to see things like that. I know myself, I'm guilty of that. But <laughs> patience is, you know, to to sort of watch those things unfold as as you are ready to move through them. We hear how you, you leaned in and you did some, some of the work here. And there was obviously more work than that. But um, just out of the sense of time and being able to really share with some of the wonderful things that you're doing today. Something happened to you with this where you felt after you that you had to go share the good news with other people. I have to go back and help my brothers and sisters after I get well. And yeah. that leads you to starting a coaching practice that you do now. You do one-on-one, you do in groups, you speak publicly as well. Can we talk about um, the work you're doing now to help the LGBTQI community? Yeah, I'd love to. Like, you know, that's just say as a conservative time. So like not dealing with that for years and then going in a space of close to five years of doing a lot of inner work, right? Oh, yeah. The hibernation mm-hmm. stage and what a lot of people don't see and being able to now provide a space or a level of wisdom to now say, hey, you, you don't, unless if you, uh, and I don't think anybody wants to go through that. I've found the answer mm-hmm. and and I found the space of how we, how we can heal. And, you know, I helped the, the queer community, like, it's all about love. It's all about, you know, helping someone find freedom. Cause I know what it is. Like I said, being in that living room and, you know, you're mentally and emotionally anguish, but the work I do is not necessarily pointing someone to a religion or pointing mm-hmm. someone to a book or anything. Mm-hmm. As I shared, when you start, and I think Anthony said this earlier, like when you start making yourself more open mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's the journey that a client and I, we go through is, how can you go through inquiry, you know, mm-hmm. and, and really asking God and, and really 
starting to maybe question a little bit of what you what you've been taught because sometimes we have to ask ourselves like what we've been taught is it really serving is it really is it serving my well-being and if it's not how can I do life differently mm-hmm. so it, it's more of helping people unify their their spirituality their sexuality right oh. we've been taught in religion in a lot of churches your abomination you know you're going to hell or if you, you know, more progressively over the, the past years, you may not be going to hell, but you are separate from God. You know, you cannot be married or you cannot love like everyone else. And that breaks someone's heart. Mm-hmm. That notion that you're separate from God, you can't get help from a divine source to help you get the job or find the, you know, the loved one or find your deeper meaning in life, your purpose. You're just feeling like you're doing life on your own and it's to help individuals say, hey, you don't have to do life on your own and to mm-hmm. make people help people understand that you don't necessarily have to, you know, be in the, you know, sitting in church, dying inside, nor do you have to totally leave your faith community and just say, you know what, I'm gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't need God. Mm-hmm. Where is the middle road of how can you experience God in a new way? So that's what I work with clients with is how do you experience God to the best of your understanding and, you know, build a new relationship? You know, I think you said something important and it's worth repeating is that these statements, these proclamations, they come from religion. So though not necessarily coming from God, we're not hearing these messages directly from, you know, God or the universe or however you, you know, you call that being. It's the religious constructs of you're going to go to hell or you can't have, you're disconnected to God, you can't be married, you know, all of those things. How how do you differentiate with a client on like how do you sort of move someone past that process where you can like disconnect these you know rules or regulations from religion and move him into move someone into like a, a more positive state of well-being when it comes to these things that they're dealing with yeah thanks for that question with that you know <clears throat> i find myself to be um spiritually inclusive so mm. I no longer identify necessarily as a Christian, but more spiritually inclusive. So helping a client in a connected way that it's a spiritual in, in environment, you know, and, mm. and, and hoping that most cases, most clients that come to me, that they're, that's what they're dealing with, their spirituality and their sexuality, this whole notion of God and religion. But I think it's power when we ask ourselves questions. Mm-hmm. So it's not a coaching session, me giving you advice, and in telling you my story, right? It, that could mm-hmm. be motivational, mm-hmm. but getting to the basis of your story. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. We're storytellers, yeah. right? We, we, we tell stories because we want to navigate. We're beautiful. You talk to a three-year-old, they'll tell you a whole story. But <laughs> is a story that you've been told, is it, is it serving you well? Yeah. Right? Is it in helping, in helping a person sit with that? This whole notion of the relationship between you and God, mm. is it positive? Yeah. Is it helping you be fruitful in life? Is it helping you help humanity? Is it helping you be get out of bed? Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. And when a person could, you know, hear their own response and say, you know what? No, mm. you know, and helping a person decipher, and, and that's through education as well, 
helping a person understand religion. You know, the original intent of religion was supposed to be a space of love, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I truly believe that God knew that we were going to come here and that we needed a little bit of help. You know, we needed a Siri. And through these sacred texts, they were supposed to kind of help. But when you have mankind involved, those individuals that wrote the Bible Mm -hmm. and other sacred texts, they were just like us. They were just like us. They were going through hardships. They were going through depression. And it's how one perceived God, how one experienced God. And in in religion is, you know, is more of trying to implement laws and and, in a guide. So, but it's going to the basis of asking a client is what you, is the the story that you're telling yourself, is it serving you well? Hmm. And if it's not, in what ways can we work and brainstorm of reframing that story to for you to live into your purpose for yeah. you to, to be the better version of yourself yeah. right yeah. and in recreating a new narrative when i was maybe 13 or 14 my parents got divorced and at that time we were very heavily involved in the uh, parish that we belong to um, i think at the time my mom was maybe even working there uh or maybe she we were just involved in the parish. And um, I remember uh, the pastor told my mom that she was still welcome to come to church, but she no longer could receive communion because she was a sinner. And if she wanted to receive communion, she would have to uh, go to confession and confess her sin of divorce. And I remember (sighs) my mom was a very... I would say level-headed person. She's no longer with us, but she was just, you know, very straight to the point and very kind, loving, caring. And we were with her when the pastor told us this and in the nicest way possible, she basically told him to fuck off. And because of (laughs) this, and and I saw this as, you know, a 13, 14 year old kid. And when we left, we got home and she said, we're not going to church anymore. We don't need this. I, but we still went to Catholic. Uh, I still went on to Catholic high school. My sister did as well. I went to a Catholic college. And you know, her thing was, you have a foundation. You have this idea of what you know, religion is, spirituality is. You have the fundamentals, like the good things. You know, be kind to one another. Um, the, the, the things that we use sort of in our you know, day-to-day life. And because of watching her sort of stand up for herself with no fear, just knowing that it's this was not going to serve us anymore, this community, if we're being judged because she got divorced, because it was the wrong relationship for her to be in, and she would not be able to thrive as a human being any longer uh, staying in that relationship. Watching that, I realized that there's church has no power over me, what really it boils down to where the power is, is my connection with the universe or God or however you want to call that being. That's where the real power is. So it's using the those amazing tools, because like Jeff said, especially in, in Catholicism, there are some really great life tools that are built in, but it's using those those things and sort of moving yourself forward. I, I love that you, you know, that's sort of the the premise of how you work is, you know, if this isn't going to serve me anymore, or if this isn't working for me, how do we fix it? Or how do we change it? And I know for myself, you know, at a young age, we sort of, you know, I say this, but we sort of stepped away from the church. And I feel like I have a wonderful 
spiritual relationship, you know, with this higher power. And I think it's, you know, it's definitely okay that you don't have to be connected to an entity that doesn't accept you and love you for who you really are, because that's really what church, you know, going to church or religion, you know, that's really what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. You could have not said it any better. Yeah. Coach Kate, you used a word that I really stuck out and I was like, Oh, I'm like, I use a different word for it, but it's the same thing. Well, I use the word inventory, but you used the word inquiry. Mm-hmm. And I love that because, you know, just to, I think any, oh. any spirit, any living being can benefit from an inquiry. Like, and you know, when we're so quick to use these things in, in technology and mm-hmm. business, peer reviews and stuff like that, like the thing that's supposed to be the thing that we're using to develop our, as far as who our soul and our core is, why would we want not to do the same thing? Like to, to be, because yeah. creation, like you talk about these stories and, you know, this, it, to, instead of being able to be like, oh, miracles used to take place 2000 years ago. Like, no, it's still happening now. And now you get to be invited into that and yeah. be fully of what is inside of you and shine and, and be part of that creation. Like that's where it's like, oh, I could talk for an hour about that. Like, <laughs> that makes <laughs> Just out of curiosity, with this process, do you find that you continue to do inquiries for yourself as you've evolved and grown life? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's one of those things. If you're not, if you're, if you feel like, oh man, you've arrived, and that's the thing about this work. I'm, I'm not. I've gotten to the, you know, to the other side of it, you know, in the healing space of it, in the light of it. But I'm still continuously growing and and letting my clients know that you're going to continuously grow. Yeah, and a lot of the growing that you're going to do is unraveling a lot of the things that your belief systems, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes that could be a little bit challenging, like, Oh, you know, and it's going back to that space is are these belief systems that you're ingrained with, are they serving you? Mm. Right. And saying, what does freedom look like for you? And I'm in a therapy program or marriage family therapy. I'm studying to do that as well, because through my own healing, I started to understand that as a coach is not, always about going future oriented, right? Mm-hmm. And say, hey, let's pick up from here and go forward. But there's a lot of unraveling that we have to do from our childhood too. Yeah. And understanding a lot around religious trauma. Mm-hmm. So um, actually uh, there's a researcher, um, Dr. Marlene uh, Winnell, she does a lot of this and work and helping, giving us language around some of the experiences that we've had with the religion, right? And mm-hmm. how sometimes it can be, the the toxic theology can hold us back and help and kind of help how can we get into a space of autonomy um in our own lives and say you know i want to i want to incorporate god but how, how do i navigate this thing so yes i continuously grow and you know when those things that may have triggered me in the past come up it, it's a little bit different and i think one of the, the biggest things that has helped me tremendously is meditation mm meditation and mindfulness. And we don't really teach that in in the Christian church. We teach prayer, dialogue. You ask God what what, what you want, right? (laughs) That God's a vending machine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But we don't really teach of how to sit. And I think that's the thing about when you get to a space of trying to be more spiritually inclusive, you're able to bring in other concepts, and ideas around how can I, you know, meditate or how can I be mindful and watch my thoughts and be able, when you're able to watch your thoughts as, as, as mm. with, with my clients and observe your thoughts, that's when you're able to say, is that true for me? Mm. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and that coupled with like, you know, um, I know you are, you all are big fans of Byron Katie, but she, mm. through the inquiry, that's where the change in the shift happens when yeah. you say, man, is that true? Yeah. Is that working for me? And if it's not, how can I turn it around? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and I would say that to me, that is like, if you want to use the word God or spirit, like that's me turning my will over to my higher power to God and really what God's will is. Yeah. And then being able to show up and, and then because living in truth and, and honesty, that's that's the whole beauty of this this inquiry, this this process. And then the word I would also say is an expression happens. I'm expressing who I am. And what, I mean, and then sometimes words to me are just like, just because it amazes me. It's like, okay, what is the opposite of depression? It's expression. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, no wonder I was depressed for so many years. I wasn't expressing for so many years. I was told, oh, don't play with the dolls. Don't play with the Barbies. You know, like, mm-hmm. don't, 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 yeah. you know, uh, be careful when you're out there doing figure skating so that your, <laughs> your wrist is not limp or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> but I can still be out there playing hockey. And I love both those things. And, you know, and I, they both bring me joy, you know. Um, and that's that's that freedom you kind of talked about, you know, when, when we spoke to your father and, and you, 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 you kind of like had that that thing that you needed. And I, you know, I, I hear that now it sounds like, you know, with the work that you do with your clients, the giving back is that you also receive as well in the process. Yeah. Yeah. As long as a teacher, teacher, student, and, um, part of the process is a, is a three-part process is a, not only am, am I in the room and you're in the room, but if we allow intuition, you know, mm-hmm. God in you to stir up the responses and stir up what need what what needs to be healed yeah um and you know i'm learning <laughs> you, know, con- <laughs> you know with every client is, is different i'm learning more about them i'm learning more about the scope of the world and it's a healing process and it it affirms man you know things come up that a client may say that i've been dealing with oh man mm-hmm. you've been able to work through that yeah pay pass that forward to them and then they turn and be, become the teacher and the student mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. so it is it's constantly a cycle of you know helping and helping a client anchor themselves to their purpose um in in learning how to you know use that as a motivator so it's mm-hmm. always it's always like i said it's always a teacher student moment what you're saying i think is is even bigger and more universal what i'm thinking is it's like you know there's sort of this notion going back to what you said, like, okay, I've done the work and now I've arrived, I'm here and now I don't have to do anything else or grow or change or move, you know, through anything else. And I think in so many other places of our life, personal life, work life, career, you know, relationships with family and friends, it's, everything is always changing and constantly evolving. And, you know, like look at last year, you know, just the year of 2020, just how much, how everything had to shift and change in order for us to, you know, accommodate what was happening in the world. I look at, you know, even for Jeff and I, you know, we also have uh, an event production company. And last year we had to make a shift. We had to pivot from live in-person events to work with our partners on how to figure out how to produce events virtually. I look at us, you know, with the show, it's, you know, every interview we do, I think we get a little bit better and we change and we grow and we learn something from it. So I think what you're saying, you know, is also just sort of a universal truth that in our lives from all facets of it, that, you know, change can be scary. I know for myself, I sometimes, Jeff will attest to this. I sometimes, you know, I'm very cautious or pump the brakes. You know, Jeff likes to kind of throw his hands up in the air and just kind of go with it. But, you know, I'm, I'm more 
I'm learning that you just kind of have to, you know, move, kind of go with the flow and let things evolve. I think though, what happens is, is there's sort of this lie that we're told (laughs) somewhere along the line that it's like you, you go to school, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids and then, you, you know, you buy your house and like you live your life. That's what it is. And it's, and I think now, you know, there is sort of this bigger spiritual awakening happening in the world where it's like, we just, we're all, we're, people are realizing that it's a constant evolution and that we have to continue to grow and change and adapt because if we don't, the world is, we're just going to be left behind. So I just wanted to point that out because as you were talking through this, I think it's just important to say that, you know, it's a universal uh, truth as well. We were, we were talking earlier about some of the principles that you work with with your clients. Can we walk through some of the, the principles that you use um, to work with your clients? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to do that. So more of the one of the um, the principles is more of a kind of like a framework. So I feel that when I've gone through my healing, I was like, man, there's not really a, bl- a blueprint. There's really no kind of manual. You know, you have therapy, you have these different modalities, but how do you help a client that wants to unify their spirituality and sexuality and, mm-hmm. and be able to cater to them in a way that you may have, I may have clients that want to stay in their faith communities. That's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. You know, I have um, clients that say, Hey, I want to evolve my spiritual growth. I want to be open to different practices or um, I'm just questioning a lot of things and that's fine in creating that safe space for them. So like more of the framework is being able to help individuals, what I call is like um, more through a power of intentionality and helping them understand and navigate one anchoring themselves to a purpose right so that's one of the principles that i teach is around purpose a lot of the times when we are having a challenge in life especially i'll speak in the context of the challenges that we face as a queer community we don't feel we've been taught that we don't have a purpose that we've been like you're abomination you're going to hell we don't know why you're here you're not really included to come to certain churches unless if you go to an affirming church it, it makes it hard for someone. So helping someone understand and reframe their story around God's purpose for their life or that co-creative process with them and God working on a purpose and helping someone identify what that purpose is. Once they're able to identify, say, okay, I've anchored myself into something, that becomes the motivator, right? That yeah. becomes mm-hmm. the motivator as in, I now know that I have purpose. I can come yeah. out. Yeah. I can show up confidently at work. I can mm. actually be in a relationship. Right. Yeah. And, and I would say to anyone, to, to me, that's just, it's like, that's, that's that foundation that then everything else that you just talked about work life, it all is then built on top of that firm foundation. Well, and then going back to what you were saying earlier when you were like in your late twenties, right? So all of a sudden, once you start getting into alignment, like your your career turns around, your 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 weight turns around, your mental health turns around. I mean, everything then all of a sudden shifts and sort of realigns, and it's like, okay, here I am, I'm ready to go. Yeah, and as I say, like, hey, this is I'm ready to go. I'm 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 I want to play, coach. You know, I want to mm-hmm. get into like, yeah. life. And that's when it gets fun, no? Like at least, yeah. and and it can be scary. I, I mean, to be fair, like there is like there's a, I know that kind of like sweaty palm feeling you get. I know when I've done stuff like that, but but I know on the other side of those sweaty palms, there's like butterflies. So just just tell you know, but, um, yeah, you're you're ready to kind of step in there. So that's one of the one the the um, anchor process. Like so, I walk a per, walk a person through that. We go through the discovery process of, you know, your purpose, and then we move on to building a vision. 
Okay. So it's very important that an individual has a vision for them, vision for their life, vision for themselves, right? You got to be able to see what's in front of you. Otherwise yeah. in that, you're going to keep, you're going to stay in that depressive state or a mental right. emotion, anguish. You're not going to be able to see anything. So through the, the inquiry is what is it that you want to experience? Mm-hmm. What is ideal for you in your life? And in yeah. uh, the client coming to the uh, a, a revelation of what that is. That all makes so much sense to, and, and, and I think also is like, I'm curious to ask you, cause I, I, I'm not a coach as you've worked with clients, people come back and say, Oh, you know what, coach K like, Hey, we wrote down this and this, but I've been out there like living life now working on some of the things. When I, and I realized maybe that they're going to tweak this a little bit. Is, is there space for that? Yeah, definitely. And that, that's the thing. That's where I think Anthony was speaking about earlier. You got to just let, allow things to flow. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and, and it's a living, it's a living thing. Like your purpose, yeah. Yeah. your vision is a living thing where yeah. we get caught up is that, Oh man, I, you're not giving yourself organic way to grow. You're mm-hmm. going to change. You're going to evolve. You're going to mm-hmm. be different. You know, your purpose may be different at a particular age yeah. than it is when you're, you know, doing something different when you're married, yeah. when you have kids, yeah. when you have different callings. So we work through that process and then we get into the um, last principle, which is really action. Mm. Uh, so mm. the right. action, action space. So that's what really coaching is all about, right? It's one thing, it's not going to come, you're going to sit on a couch and say, oh, this is my life story. We understand that, right? <laughs> well, what is it now that you want, you want to get in the driver's seat and take action? And what is those small steps? And mm. I think, Jeff, you were mentioning that earlier that, Maybe you're in a car with an Uber driver and instead of code switching, how can you make a small step with you feel in a safe space? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going here with my boyfriend or, you know, my girlfriend or I'm non-binary or what, what is, what are those small steps? What, yeah. what are those small wins and really helping the client, you know, really achieve those small wins? Yeah. There's really something powerful when I'm listening, you know, to all of these steps and just sort of thinking about, you know, these principles we do these things in so many other, you know, parts of our lives where I'm just thinking about like in business, right? When you're writing a business plan. So it's sort of like you have, there has to be an incubation period, right? Where you're figuring out what it is that we're doing. What are we trying to accomplish? What is this thing that we want to create? Then that leads to creating a mission statement, which leads to creating goals, which leads to creating strategy and then an action plan. Um, And, I say this because I just think so many times in other parts of our lives, we do these things. We do this work. And when it comes to ourselves, we don't always think that it's okay to do this self-work, this self-healing, this self-practice. And just the more, you know, the more we see it, the more, you know, similar, the similarities come to light more and more because it really all is sort of the same thing. But taking the point that I want to really drive here is, you know, taking action is, I think, really what's key is once you know and understand who you are and what it is that you want in your life, you have to take action. You know, there's, you know, you know, people say, well, I've, you know, figured out that I want this, but it's like, well, it, that's great to have like a dream, but unless you have an action plan, it's never going to come into fruition. It's never going to, you know, to evolve. So being present and being able to take that action and, and move through it, that's what really sort of creates the change in your own life, which will then create, you know, your, you know, change within your environment around you and, you know, 
hopefully the world around you. Yeah. Okay, I said it better, Anthony. And that's the that's the pivotal moment, right? Mm. Is really helping someone get into that action action yeah. space and. Um, really, what is your action on how you want to recreate the relationship with you and God? Right? Mm. What is a spirituality? Like, how can you unite? Because sometimes we think God is external. How do, yeah. how do we open our minds to how do you want your, what, do, what is the vision for your spirituality? You know, yeah. what do you, how do you want to experience that? And, and really dialing down and getting awareness of the limiting beliefs. So it's, it's, it's definitely a process, but walking individuals through that process I found the most success and really say, man, I took action. I'm the, you know, I may have been having society or my family enforcing choices on me, but really helping that individual step into that space of I'm making the choice. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, and I have a driver, I have a purpose, I have a motivator that's helping me make these choices and stick with them. We, uh, we, we speak the same language of the heart as, as you, Coach K, and we, uh, we're so glad to, to share this, this time with you. We could talk definitely longer. I think really what we can do is we can uh, encourage people to uh, connect with you. Um, you have a, I lo- first of all, can we talk about your Instagram handle? Can you tell everyone what that is, please? Because it's amazing. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, I, the Instagram handle is Queer on Purpose, and I, I think it's very, very important that we as a queer community know that God has created us on purpose mm-hmm. and with a purpose. So to help people really live live into that, like man, yeah. my life has purpose, and to be proud and and, and God wants us to, God wants to show its diversity through us. So mm-hmm. yeah, so queer on purpose. Yeah, and we're gonna have all the Anthony does a wonderful job with uh, putting together profiles for all of our guests online, and um, everyone will be able to connect with with, with you there, and also at queer at queer on purpose on Instagram, and uh, there'll be more links to also some wonderful books that you recommend as well, and you also have a wonderful website that we'll have uh, on our on our site as well too. We just really want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and uh, we thank you for the work that you're doing and, and and how you're helping others and just the joy that you're continuing to spread in the world, and and I just want to pause because for all of us like. Sometimes people listen. It's like, oh, we all just we all took a little bit of step here and there, you know, to get where we are today. And that I didn't know you. If, if I wasn't, if we hadn't pivoted to having this conversation online with COVID, we necessarily wouldn't be having this conversation today. So I'm really grateful that that you have taken the action in your lives and that it's brought us together here on our paths that they've crossed it, you know, to, together today um, for this time. So thank you so much for for how you showed up in the world. Awesome. And, and thank you both for doing what you're doing for the community and allowing us the space to tell our stories um, and all hope that is inspiration. So thank you for having me and um, thank you to all the listeners for spending the time today. Oh, all right. Well, thanks again. And till, till we meet again, be well. All right, you too. The tools that Coach K discussed are available to everyone. Understanding what you want your life to look like, visualizing it, and creating an action plan to achieve it. You too can actualize the life that you want for yourself. Be sure to visit Coach K's profile on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com to get connected with her and her teachings. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. 
On our website, you can also catch up on past episodes, learn more about our past guests, and browse their profiles. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store and browse our online bookstore curated with our guests' recommended books. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be true, be you, and to talk out loud.